Support for this podcast comes from JCPenney. This holiday, our in-person gatherings may be a bit more intimate, and our virtual ones bigger than ever. But no matter how traditions change, what's most important is celebrating special moments with the people who matter most. JCPenney has all the best gifts all in one place, making it easy to send your warmest season's greetings to loved ones near and far. Looking for the perfect gifts for everyone on your list? We'll be back soon with some of our top gift picks. Joy, comfort, peace. JCPenney. Are we? Yes. Where are we? Here. Why are we here? Not entirely clear. We are misfits thrust into existence by random chance with no hints at all as to how we're supposed to make sense of it all. It's immensely bizarre. Here we are. So I have, everybody, a very special guest for you. Welcome to the Here We Are podcast. By the way, special pandemic edition. Uh, today, I'm going to be talking with Athena Ectipis. And am I saying that correct? I always get yes. so intimidated by your name. Athena. You're totally saying it right. Uh, okay, terrific. It's uh, who I've had on the show before. She's the assistant professor of psychology at Arizona State University, director of the Interdisciplinary um, Cooperation Initiative at ASU. And she has a brand new book, which just came out today, actually, I guess maybe yesterday by the time uh, this is this is released, called The Cheating Cell, How Evolution Helps Us Understand and Treat Cancer. Not only that, but this fun, bright lady also has a fantastic podcast of her own called Zombified. Tell us about Zombified. Well, uh, Zombified is your source for fresh brains. So uh, it is a conversational yeah. podcast. Yeah, so it's basically conversations with scientists, artists, ethicists around this question of what are the things that manipulate us, take over our brains, um, hijack us, influence us in various ways. Um, and we are right now um, thinking a lot about how we can use metaphors about zombies and zombie apocalypse to also kind of get our heads wrapped around what is going on currently with the pandemic. And so my sort of podcast world and my research world are kind of starting to collide a little bit because we're um, starting to dig in in terms of asking questions about cooperation in the apocalypse. Hmm. That's wonderful. I, I mean, you're positioned very well for this apocalypse. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I mean, none of us really are like positioned well, but I guess uh, in terms of doing some research on questions about cooperation and the zombie apocalypse, uh, our our team has been thinking about this kind of stuff for a while. I mean, it's like uh, it's been... Uh, at least six or nine months ago, I gave my first talk that actually was titled Cooperation in the Apocalypse for an academic audience, and it went over all right. Really? So I've been doing that. Yeah, yeah. That is fun. Um, yeah. Very cool. This is so... Oh, man. I, I wonder what all... We, we could take this conversation a million different directions. I'm kind of flying by the seat of my pants here, me being... Um, positioned trying to um do what i can to feel like i have a semblance of of control and 
and and things in in this in this time. I happen to be someone who has been doing a science podcast for five and a half years and abandoned uh, a somewhat successful stand-up career um, to focus on science communication. And everyone was like, but no one cares about science. And all my representation was like confused about why I did that. And now here we are for the first time in my lifetime where all of the public is like, well, what do scientists have to say about, about things? <laughs> You know what the deep irony is, Shane? I just a couple weeks ago with a colleague of mine started a um, a humor website that's a satire. Um, and we've been satirizing a bunch of stuff about uh, academia and um, the pandemic and where they kind of come together. It's called reversepsychologytoday.com. <laughs> and um, so we just we just published an article yesterday about how professors are overjoyed that people are finally leaving them alone. <laughs> so here I am now like going into comedy and there you are like, you know, you're yeah, in the yeah. science communication. <laughs> so... Uh, well, as we're all learning, life is filled with lots of unexpected twists and turns. It is. Uh, and I think we need we need comedy to help us process stuff, honestly. Like if we're just always being so serious, like I think it actually constrains our thinking in ways that make it harder for us to adapt to changing circumstances. So I am a huge fan of bringing comedy together with science and with just reflecting on where we are in the world and how are thing how things are changing. Well, I, th I think that uh, that comedians and scientists aren't aren't that. I mean, I, I think that there's more similarities than people would at first glance assume, which is that um, both both use a lot of divergent thinking usually, at, at least in coming up with their kind of original ideas and and both scientists and uh, comedians are are trying to kind of make these subtle like underlying observations and patterns picking up on these things that that the general public isn't isn't seeing and um, you, you know that's uh, everything from the stereotypical observation of like who are these people that do that like scientists are kind of doing right. Uh, similar stuff of like, why do people behave in in this way? You know, asking asking the questions that no one else is acting, but then are asking. But then once you do hear them, everyone goes, "Oh yeah, why why is it that way?" So yeah, totally. And I think that comedy and just more in general, like fiction, imagination, you know, these realms where you're not expected to have it already all figured out. It kind of provides like a play space for people to bring things up without having as many expectations for um, like, you don't have to have everything figured out yet. Yeah. Right? I feel like in science, you're sort of expected to have it all figured out before you even bring something up. Yeah. And I don't, I, I mean, some, sometimes that's the right thing in science, yeah. but other times, like, you need to be putting the questions out there and speculating in order to get things to go in a direction that they need to go. Yeah, I get to speculate wildly. I will say that is one big difference of, <laughs> of, of, of academics are often, especially when they're being recorded, 
very cautious about what they're saying and only working with the things that have like been well studied and verified and replicated many many times and then like i'll hit stop on on the record after a podcast and then and then they're like well i've had these ideas about this and that and i'm like that's the most interesting (laughs) 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 whereas comedians have comedians have no problem at all just spouting their mouth off with no actual evidence <laughs> to, back, to back up anything. <laughs> but maybe that's why we need to team up. So, science, science, yeah. science, uh, comedians, would, comedians would be good um, in, in kind of the think tank um, early like ideas of things, but you, you don't, you don't want the comedians around in the day-to-day grind of like actually having to keep things sterile and clean and, uh, and analyzing data and sticking with a schedule. Uh, that's, that, that's not what comedians are, are built for, but, uh, maybe one day we'll learn, we'll learn to, um, uh, work together. The comedians and scientists to save the world. Totally. Um, yeah. I mean, honestly, is there a better combination for our current situation? Right. Cause it's like, we need the science yeah. to figure shit out with what's going on now. Right. And then we need the comedy so that we don't lose our minds. Right. Right. And, and right. So you can't use your mind if you've lost your mind. Right. So we need the comedians to keep the scientists from losing. Their and mind. you'd have for, for as, as big of, um, uh, fuck ups as as comedians could be. You you'd be hard pressed to find a single comedian um, or scientist uh, for for that matter that that couldn't give a much better public speech <laughs> to to address the world than what we've been seeing uh, lately. Mm-hmm. Of course, uh, you could say the same about comatose patients, I suppose. But um, <laughs> but I um. I I want to I want to talk to you um, first, just because there's a million directions. I mean, I guess I I'm gonna kind of I'm gonna ask you this just kind to kind of let you steer the ship a, a little bit. Um, but uh, I guess my first question is, how's the apocalypse treating you um, so far? I mean, it seems like you have you're you're outside in a nice, lovely, lovely day. It's a it's a much more pleasant looking apocalypse than than was portrayed in the movies and stuff so far, don't you think? Yeah, yeah. There's this been this sort of visual meme circulating about you know like what I expected in the apocalypse and what I got. You know, and what I expected is half zombies, half anarchy, and what I got was home office and no toilet. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. So so that's kind of the the situation. I mean. Um, yeah, my general like you know living situation is fine in terms. There's not zombies trying to crawl over the fence here or anything like that. So so I'm good in terms of that. Um, but I mean, there is a little sort of mini apocalypse happening like inside there because we've got three kids home from school. My husband, he's a professor. He's trying to work in there also. Um, two dogs that are bothering somebody on somebody's call all the time. Um, so just trying to work out how you have your own work move forward while you are also kind of full time in the space with people all day who otherwise would have their own space and be doing their own thing. Um, it's, uh, it's a challenge. So. Plus we're all 
anxious and on edge for a number of reasons. We don't want to get sick. We don't want to spread this thing. We're worried about humanity. We're worried about the the, uh, the economy. No one feels terribly se- secure right now. Everyone's yeah. everyone's a little low on sleep. I, I should have put some uh, eye drops in um, before I <laughs> before I started this thing. Man, I have and, and I'm I'm an expert sleeper. It's like it's like my superpower, and I've I've mm. been sleeping way less than usual. So I can only imagine all the all the poor people out there just uh, that are real that already had sleep problems, and uh, yeah. are are really especially struggling. This is a tough situation. I I wanted to ask you. Yeah. Um, uh, let's let's get down. Um, to the the nitty gritty, I guess. So a, a big part of this show is, I, I think people are going to hear the same um, stuff on a loop um, constantly on the news. And I always uh, love talking with scientists because they have, you know, kind of like what I was saying, the the similarity between comedians and scientists is is they can walk by, they can walk down the same street, see the same, have the same experience as as everyone else, but they have just like a different take on it than, than usually you hear other people uh, talk about or, or the same, same takes that you hear on the news. And so I'm kind of, I'm kind of the most interested in how people in all these different fields um, are interpreting this situation and the kind of stuff from their research that makes them, um, uh, the, the kind of thoughts that run through your head that are maybe a little more specific to you um, you know, than, than the general public. Sure. Yeah. Well, one of the big changes that's happened for me over the past few weeks is that we, we started a new research project, um, to look at how people are cooperating in the pandemic. And luckily we actually were able to get this started before it was declared a pandemic, um, me and a few of my colleagues, we were talking about how we sort of saw the writing on the wall that this was going to get a lot worse and that we thought it would be really interesting to look at how people are, um, what their views are about the risks that are out there and how they are approaching others in their life in terms of helping or not, and um, do they feel interdependent with people or not. Um, and so we we started a, a project to, they're gathering data on that. So we've kind of been, uh, in addition to <laughs> trying to keep things afloat that we already have going on, we, we started this this new project. Um, it, it's, it really kind of grows out of um, a bigger project we have called the Human Generosity Project, where we're looking at how do people help each other in times of need. And we've studied human societies, uh, small-scale societies around the world, looking at their helping each other during times of need, if it's natural disaster or, or famine or people getting injured and, um, and, and things like that. So uh, a lot of the work that we're doing in the Human Generosity Project and my research team in general, we're thinking now about, well, how can we look at these questions but in the context of the current pandemic yeah that's amazing well i'm talking to the right person <laughs> we could we could use a lot of this right now and 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 bless your heart for being like oh there's a, an apocalypse coming we can see it coming let's take on another project well we're 
<laughs> while we're while everyone else is scrambling for for toilet paper and eyeing which of their which of their uh, neighbors they're gonna eat first, uh, you, you, you you you're like I think I'll study some more stuff. Uh, so thank you. I'm I'm grateful for you doing that. So what what kind of um, so how do you study such a thing? What do you what are you giving out? Are there surveys? What what are the studies? Yeah, so we have we have an online survey, and actually we're we're going to be launching a um, highly shortened version of it within a few days. So I'll I can send the link out to you if you want one that's done. Um, we're we're basically asking about people's um, assessment of their personal risk, um, in general risk, and some of the things that they're doing. Um, on an individual basis and um, to, to try to help control the, the spread of the pandemic. Um, and then their attitudes about various um, groups. So like, would you, would you be likely to help a neighbor or not? Would, you know, how, do you, how connected do you feel to all of humanity right now? There are these kinds of questions and we're, we're really interested in how that is potentially changing over the course of the pandemic, um, and so right now we're kind of in this phase where we're we're throwing a lot of things at the wall, trying to collect data while this is unfolding, and then um, after uh, a, a few more rounds of data collection. Right now we have two data points. We're hoping to have at least five over you know the next um, several weeks. We'll collect a few more data points, um, and then we're gonna take a look at what we have and make a plan for how we want to really dig into questions about how people help each other during the pandemic, about how our perceptions of our interdependence are changing. Because my sense, at least, is that this, the global nature of this pandemic in and also the, the way that, you know, if it's in your city, right, you're affected by it. And and even how some of our infrastructure um, is, I, I'm not going to say breaking down, because I think there's a lot of efforts to keep things going in terms of infrastructure, which is super important. And, um, and that's, you know, at the moment, I think we're pretty good. But that there is this sort of recognition that there's a, a vulnerability there, that once things start breaking down, other things start yeah. breaking down. So not only are we interpersonally very interdependent with one another. Um, but there's also this interdependence of all these systems that we're a part of. And I think for a very long time, we've kind of been able to live in this illusion of not being interdependent because our needs are always provided for us as long as we have some cash to exchange for what we need. So, so you don't necessarily have a feeling really of the interdependence that's there. But um, once things start, you know, not going as expected, I think it starts to reveal some of that deep interdependence that's there. So for me personally, that's one of the, the questions that I want to look at empirically with um, collecting data over the course of, you know, the next few weeks and months. And, you know, also, I, I think there'll be interesting changes that will last after we're we're through with this in terms of how people are approaching each other and um, how they're thinking about risk and, and such things. Yeah, it's this is a this is a, when you say it like that, I'm like, oh, man, this is an awkward time for me as a as a bit of a hermit. And uh, I, I kind of 
go my own way and I'm, I'm very independent and I spend a lot of time by myself and I kind of like it that way. Um, and I, uh, yeah, I'm a go against the grain kind of guy. And so at first when it comes to like the physical distancing stuff, I'm like, Oh, I got this. I've been, I've been doing this for 39 years i'm way ahead of self-isolated yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but now when you're now when you're like uh, oh we got to depend on one another there, there must be a lot of like awkward conversations going on right now of neighbors just like maybe i should get to know my neighbors a little bit all yeah from six uh, from feet apart, six feet right? apart. Like... But, yeah, yeah. So no no longer the um uh, going back to the we're we're making a a quick a quick jump back to the um, borrowing a cup of sugar um, from your neighbor. Although now we're gonna have to have like we're gonna have to put like that cup of sugar in a bag and like launch it out of a t-shirt cannon or uh, or something <laughs> like that. And then choosing your neighbors, there's got to be a lot of like criteria in there. You know, there's like some neighbors that you want to partner up with and others you want to avoid. Like. Yeah, I, I think of this in terms of, you know, who do you want on your Z yeah. team, right? Who do you want on your zombie right. apocalypse team? I mean, for, well, every, well, you think if there's zombies, you want the, you want the um, big truck gun guy that you've always been scared of until now. He's the zombie guy. But in the, <laughs> in, in the, in, in the quarantine apocalypse, you want the person with like a really nice entertainment center, I feel like. <laughs> Maybe an old a stockpile of masks in your yeah. garage. <laughs> yeah, so you need a doctor on the team. Man, maybe a carpenter. Except, except if you have a doctor on your team, they are the, right now working their asses off trying to take care of people and yeah. set up, you know, like these wings of hospitals and volunteering their time to be there. So they're busy and also, you know they're unfortunately much more at risk of, of getting infected because they are having more interactions. And of course now, like finally they're using more protective gear, but it's been really slow making that shift in the healthcare industry to having doctors and nurses wearing protective I mean, gear. Which yeah, is scary that is me, very but. scary that, I mean, th this is yeah. uh, pe people that, uh, you know, I had one of my one of my very best friends um, is an eye surgeon now, and you know, I kept up with them quite a bit and followed along all through medical school. And um, you know, they're working like 16 hours a day when there's not a pandemic going on, which I never quite understood why that was good for learning. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but but I, I guess I guess the the medical schools and the sleep scientists don't talk to one another. Um, but but so you know they're they're stretched thin before this pandemic, and then now the people that we need the most are the ones that are the most vulnerable to getting sick. What do we do? This is I mean. Support for this podcast comes from Wild Turkey Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. Let's tune in to their one-on-one -on -one with Jamal, a real bartender from Old Fourth Ward in Atlanta. I really get into the backstory of whatever I'm pouring. Out of respect, there are literally years of experience behind these bottles. Wild Turkey, same recipe since 1942. If you want a true classic, 
This is what you want to order. Wild Turkey. Wild Turkey Distilling Company, Lawrenceburg, Kentucky. Copyright 2020, Campari, America, New York, New York. Never compromise, drink responsibly. Support for this podcast comes from CDW and Cisco. Modern modernization today has the products you need to modernize your workplace, like Wi-Fi booster crystals. Let their metaphysical powers enhance connectivity and spiritually awaken your Internet of Things. At CDW, we get crystals won't modernize your network. You need Cisco Catalyst access points that are Wi-Fi 6 compatible and can help you improve reliability, increase capacity, and reduce latency. Cisco and IT orchestration by CDW. People who get it. Find out more at cdw.com slash Cisco. They're also the ones, I mean, speaking of cooperation, they're the ones that are taking these huge personal right. risks in order to try to reduce the spread, to try to take care of the people who are sick. So, you know, there there are a lot of sides to what's going on now. But to me, one thing that we should not lose track of is, you know, the people who are working at a personal cost to themselves, at high risk to themselves, um, to try to take care yeah. of people who need it or the people who are like a lot of people um, are volunteering their time to go into biodesign Institute here at ASU where they set up a testing facility. And they're, you know, it's like anybody who can do PCR, who is a grad student or above, um, they can volunteer to help with the testing so they can make the testing happen faster. So, you know, so that's happening. Um, you know, we have people all over the country who are in the national guard who are, you know, deployed now trying to, help make sure that people are getting supplies and that um, people are getting taken care of. So we have a huge amount of cooperation just happening just like that um, spontaneously. You know, some of it is organized, obviously, through institutions that we have. But if you look at the the motivations of the people who are, are who are doing these things, I mean, they're so many people who are just being extremely altruistic right now to try to help control the spread and to take care of the people who need it yeah i mean and then and then all of the now that every um every doctor in every field like okay well you were doing this nice little cosmetic eye surgery well guess what now and now you're you're uh trying to um be on the front lines of this Now, now there's all these all these people that you know there's a whole lot of other medical problems out there other than this virus and no one can attend to uh, yeah my my grandma has my grandma was due to go in and get radiation on her on her hip for her for her cancer and then you know she can't do that now and there's mm-hmm. i mean there's a billion stories like that out there of, of people i mean what uh, webmd is uh, uh is i i imagine getting uh, getting a lot more traffic than normal. Uh, we're, now we're going to have to figure out how to how to manage some of our own health care because the doctors are all working on the front lines of, of this. It's just, it's such an insane situation. Yeah, well, and it's, I think, really clear that we are just not ready as a society for mm-hmm. pandemics in general. And And, you know, I definitely don't want to minimize anything about the current situation we're in because it's quite serious. But in terms of the lethality of COVID-19, it's not terribly high compared to some of the pandemics that have happened in history. So imagine what we would be in if 
it were higher lethality, you know? And so I think one of the ways that we can try to um, learn from this current situation is to, is to get that wake up call that we as a society at the moment are not in a good place to, to deal with pandemics and that we need to revise how we are allocating resources and attention and, um, you know, person hours to being more prepared because this is not the right. first pandemic that humanity has faced. No, there's been, be the I, I was, I was thinking about this. There's been some pandemics that, that have in, in history taken out like a quarter of a, of a population in, in large regions, right. Or like nearly, nearly drove, um, parts of humanity to, to extinction through our evolutionary past is, is my understanding. Right. Yeah. You know, I'm not like a historical epidemiologist. Oh, come on. The, Give me the, the numbers, numbers off the top off of my the head. Of head <laughs> but... <screw> it up. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, certainly, um, you know, there have, there have been many historical pandemics with way higher lethality. Um, and it, it's, you know, and there, there have been a lot of people who have been trying to get people to pay more attention to this. I mean, just off the top of my head, you know, David Quammen, who's a, um, science writer and, um, science communicator, um, and, uh, Ed Young, like they've been, publishing articles even like the new york times and stuff like that for the last few years saying hey we're not ready for a pandemic we need to be more ready it's going to come and you know until the shit hits the fan um you know how do you get people and institutions to shift how they're investing well it's gonna it's it's gonna change the world quite a bit in terms i i mean I, I mean, I mean, certainly, certainly after 9-11, you know, TSA and all of those, the, the kind of which which I would say, um, you know, was was quite the overkill. But we we definitely um, it's just my opinion, but but we definitely responded um, like rather dramatically in, in, in terms of safeguarding ourselves um, against future attacks. Mm-hmm. If we if if we took a proportionate uh, reaction um, to this, um, I, I don't know exactly what that would look like, but it will it will change how we live our lives quite a bit. Just just like TSA yeah. changes the way that uh, that we that we enter an airport, and for and for some people that's great and it makes us feel safer. And if it does make us feel safer, terrific. Um, but uh, but but it's but just like you know. It's taken some getting used to for a frequent flyer to to have to put up with the, uh, these processes, and this is one little small aspect of life. I wonder what measures like that are just going to be a regular part of all of our all of our lives all of the time. It's um, it's going to be really interesting. Yeah. Well, the the way that I see it, there's. A, a bunch of layers of sort of readiness that we just should have as individuals in a society that um, hasn't really been part of the conversation, but I think now is a really good time to start that conversation. So um, one is, uh, you know, obviously the pandemic readiness and our lack of that is 
extremely clear right now with how things are are playing out with COVID-19. Um, there, there's, I think, also another level, which is just preparedness for hazards in general. So sometimes this is called like the all hazards approach. So, you know, like, do you have an emergency kit in your house, like in case you need to shelter in place for three days? Um, I do at my parents' house where I'm at right now, but no, I didn't. I, I lived, I okay, lived on so... the road. I, I thought I was like ready for the Mad Max kind of, uh, experience. I've been, I've been living on the road for a year. It was actually my five year plan to like continue live, living on. I mean, I live in Airbnbs, um, and, and it's, mm -hmm. I absolutely loved it. Um, and it's, I don't have to clean. Um, I'm, I get to like, see how different people live. <laughs> I get to do all the traveling that I want. And, um, but now like, Airbnb, now, mm -hmm. now <laughs> at least, at least for, for the short term, we can't go around staying in other people's homes. And, <laughs> and right. Stuff like right. That. So do you have your, did, do you have your go bag? So like if, you needed to run. I guess you were basically just on the all, run always. always that was like run. your lifestyle. Yeah, that's, that's the name of my, always my on the run. forthcoming autobiography. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Um, uh, always on the run, but also like, but also uh, I'm, I'm also born to hunker. Like I got, I got those two aspects of who I, mm -hmm. like, so you're ready. I mean, you're like into yeah. self-isolation. You know how to run. Yeah, you like, know how I, to hunker I, down. I, I like being alone in place. And I like being alone in my car. <laughs> like, I just, as long as I'm, <laughs> as long as I'm alone, <laughs> staying, moving, whatever. I'm, I'm cool with it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, if you're asking yeah. if I'm prepared for anything in life, Absolutely not. No, no, I'm not. I, I'm a comedian. I'm incredibly irresponsible. I'm a fool. I'm a 39-year-old man-child. I turn 40 next month, and I, 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 I don't remember the last time I've cleaned anything. Now I'm supposed to wash my hands for 40 minutes at a time. No, I'm not prepared for this situation. And I'm like, I'm brighter than a lot of folks out there too. So it's, there's a there's a lot of people there's a lot of people that are going to be way worse. Like I know how underprepared I am, and what a fucking idiot I, I am. And I oh boy, I I mean one, the one thing that I have going for me is I am a very flexible, very adaptive, uh, resilient, um, and resourceful individual um, that despite being a hermit has, has built a lot of, uh, a lot of big networks um, uh, through, through, through the years. And, and so, I mean, those are lots of things um, for one to have going for them. I am so fucking worried about humanity right now. There are just so many people mm -hmm. in a really, really tough situation. And, and so, yeah, I mean, it, it, anyway, yeah. I just, I think, I, I think of how underprepared I am and I'm just like horrified by how many people there are out there that are in much, much worse shape yeah. than I am. Um, 
So yeah. in my lingo then, Shane, you would be doing what we call risk transfer. So instead of actually dealing with the risk yourself, you are building a network of people with yeah, whom, um, yeah. right, Other share the people risk. people to take care of me for me. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you nailed it. <laughs> I I didn't know there was a scientific term for that, but yeah, you you, you nailed it. Exactly. Oh, <laughs> what I'm doing. Um, yeah. So so, but just sure. to kind of come back to the main point, I think there's there is this level of um, awareness that I think um, this situation brings about how we are indeed vulnerable to things happening that disrupt, you know, life as we are used to it. And that, at least for me, I have been... I just stepped away. Oh, okay. I got <laughs> no problem. Uh, at least for me, I have been um, realizing over the past few weeks that I yeah. am not prepared. Um, and you know, like I didn't have emergency kits in my house. I didn't have, um, you know, kits in my car. I didn't have a personal go bag for me or for any of my, the members of my family. And you know, like I, I'm the chair of the zombie apocalypse medicine Alliance. It's I, fucking embarrassing. I yeah. don't have that. Right. Like I really should have that. So, um, so I've been using this pandemic as actually a chance to get my all hazards, yeah sorted out. So emergency kit for my house, um, kits for my two cars, um, my go bag, my kids go bags, you know, I've been like doing that kind of shopping, um, as opposed to buying lots of toilet paper, which apparently most people are, are, are people shitting more. I don't understand the toilet paper thing. I like hand sanitizer. Of course, let's all get as much Bleach, sanitizer, rubbing alcohol, yeah, sanitary products. I don't, I don't know how cleaning works. I imagine those are things, but, um, <laughs> but sure, get, get, get that stuff. But what? toilet paper, come on, no, I, I just don't get it. The, the way I see it, also from an economic perspective, like the kind of good that toilet paper is, is a, yeah. it's substitutable. You can like shower. in a pinch, you can take a. Or you could shower, you could take a roll of paper towel and use it. People even used newspaper back in the day or yeah. a fucking leaf. Like, you're not going to die yeah, because yeah, you don't yeah. have but toilet they, paper. They were getting that before so, they were but, getting food. Yeah. Insane. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> yeah. Well, I hope there's not too many people out there having, <laughs> ha, uh, with their with their cupboards empty and having, having to eat their 80-year supply of toilet paper for, uh, for sustenance. But if you have a bunch of extra toilet paper, Shane might need some because he's not ready, right? So, so if you have extra, my, my, yeah. <laughs> your, parents, parents your parents, your parents have. Um, I, uh, Forty next month. Um, I. <laughs> I, I Hey everybody, it's Elaine Welteroth and I'm hosting a new podcast called Built to Last by American Express, where we will dive deep into the stories, history, and continued legacy of small businesses that shape American culture. Our debut season will focus on Black-owned small businesses that need our support now more than ever. In each episode, we feature the story of a Black business trailblazer that has inspired a modern Black-owned business. 
First up is Pinky Cole of Atlanta's food truck turned restaurant, Saleti Vegan. We'll also chat with Hanifa Muemba, the cutting edge designer behind the Hanifa 3D digital fashion show. Plus, we'll check in with Issa Rae, our modern day Renaissance woman. We hope that it encourages all of our listeners to support these businesses as well as the black owned businesses in your own communities. Tune in for these amazing stories and others on Spotify, Apple, YouTube, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. It's JCPenney here, back with some great gift ideas for everyone on your list. And they're all available now at your local JCPenney or online. Need gifts for her? Check out our selection of diamond jewelry that's sure to put a sparkle in her eye. Or help her cozy up at home with pajama separates and super soft slippers. For him, try JCPenney's grooming products, like shave sets and trimmers. Or compliment his style with smart flannels and jeans from brands like Arizona, Levi's, and more. Also, stop by Sephora inside JCPenney to find top fragrances for both him and her. For the kids, shop this year's must-have toys and games for all ages. Or bring smiles to all with matching sleepwear sets for the whole family. And for everyone else on your list, share some warmth with a heated blanket, an ultra-cozy scarf, or let them decide with a gift card. There are so many ways to share the joy this holiday season and so many ways to shop JCPenney. Visit a store near you, pick up curbside, or go to jcp.com. Joy, comfort, peace. JCPenney. So uh, going back to this, going back to this um, issue of the plague and uh, uh, of the history of plagues, rather, and, and how, uh, how others have been more deadly in the past, I mean, isn't isn't some of that? I, I'm not I'm not saying that the disease strains weren't more lethal and everything, but isn't some of it because of, uh, you know, for how underprepared we are right now, we do modern medicine is a big step up from where it was a few hundred years uh, years, years ago, Certainly. a thousand years. You know, uh, doc, doctors that are now wearing all this protective gear and stuff like no one used to wear any of that stuff the the i when were germs even discovered wasn't that like late night or late 1800s or something like that it was it wasn't even that long ago or 1700s and and so you know yeah. much in the way that like there there were um uh, some people out there that thought like you you uh, cure AIDS by having sex with a virgin. I'm sure there's there. I'm sure there was a lot of plagues out there where they're like, maybe if we spit in each other's eyes, that'll that'll. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I mean, it's funny, but it's also not funny because there's a huge amount of misinformation out there about things that you can do to prevent yourself from getting well, COVID off, that are totally untrue. I, before so, you say anything, th- you know, I that... only listened to Gwyneth Paltrow, but uh, you. You you go you go ahead and say what you're going to say. <laughs> but I'll let you give your point of view as well. Yeah, no, no, it's true that that you know information that seems like it's really valuable in an uncertain time um, can spread extremely quickly, regardless yeah. of whether it's true or not. So you know if you are you know saying, oh, I have the you know miracle cure for this, or if you do this one crazy trick, then you'll never get COVID nineteen. Um, people. A lot of people will listen just because, um, you know, if you do turn out to be right, it's very fitness relevant. So I think that there's a, a, an, an interesting kind of vulnerability that we have as humans to, um, 
incorrect information um, during times of uncertainty. Because there's so much uncertainty, that means that um, we're looking to decrease that uncertainty. Yeah. And if there's something that we're hearing from someone where if if it happens to be true, it's really fitness relevant, then But what a great time for practical jokes, you know? Uh, <laughs> if you can... <laughs> If you can convince people that, like, if you if you only if you put both your legs behind your head and only walk around using your hands on the street, like you can't get the virus, then you'll get to see all of your neighbors trying to <laughs> trying to walk around on, on their hands. That I mean, that's gonna be fun for a few days. Like, That'll be fun until you get arrested because now it's like apparently illegal oh, to spread any misinformation. Oh, so I, I, I didn't get the update. Was that just today? Is, I, is I, Donald yeah. Trump in jail right now? Is that? <laughs> <laughs> I, I saw that yesterday. That um, that 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 that's um, going yeah, on now. So, I don't well, remember. So you can't source, have like Alex Jones um, and people like that, that but... selling their uh, like whatever antivirus creams or whatever um yeah about time i mean well i i i do wonder how much what what do you think i mean i i know nothing about the um how long some of these uh, uh treatments and stuff take and what and what exactly the process is but how how much do they loosen something up how, how much does something like the um the FDA or or whatever loose, loosen up standards um, in a crisis situation um, when when people are legitimately trying to uh, test new drugs, is it as strict as it ever was, or are they going to make some compromises? Well, so this is a mm -hmm. completely unprecedented situation. Usually, it takes forever. Um, but I think that we're in a situation now where everybody has kind of aligned goals and interests and people are on the same page that we need to move things as quickly as possible. So anything and everything COVID-19 related is getting, you know, pushed to the very front of the line for all of the steps um, in terms of whether they're going to be loosening any standards i don't know the answer to that question um but i'm certain that the priorities have shifted dramatically now um to put COVID 19 um you know drug development and mm. testing at the, at the very front of the line as opposed to you know having to go through um along with all mm. the other things that are going well, through I, I wanted to go back to um to a point that you make and, and maybe revisit it from a different angle. Uh, when, when you're talking about the, how, how this, is, this is less lethal or less deadly than a lot of viruses out there, I mean, it's still in, in terms of, or well, I, it's I, 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 not I, out I, there, sorry, but I think I in, history, in history, you know. Um, yeah. So, yeah. I mean, isn't that almost part of what's making it so incredibly dangerous too? Is that is that a lot of people can show no symptoms and be spreading it around without their knowledge? And then, I mean, if you take something like AIDS, that was at least the earlier um, strains of it, um, incredibly deadly and and um, and pretty fast acting. You know, it wasn't it wasn't 
bogging down all of the hospitals and you know and and it wasn't it didn't have the kind of economic impact and global impact um that that this is having even if it was more deadly so it's it's almost in some ways it's deadly er, uh, almost because of like the i don't know if you'd call it like extended kind of phenotypic effect of of the or 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 the you know what i'm trying to say like the cultural Mm -hmm. impact of yeah sure i I mean i think that the the thing about covid19 that is really key to sort of understanding how it's affecting our society is um what's called the r0 so the number of people who get infected by one person who's infected and that's somewhere between three and four people get infected by someone who has it. Um, And this number is so high because people um, can be non-symptomatic for many days, um, up to two weeks even, when they they actually have the virus. So they can be spreading it without having any symptoms whatsoever. And what that means is that, you know, even though the lethality of the virus itself is not that high, it's reaching a huge number of people. So a person with it might not have a very high likelihood themselves of dying. But if you multiply that out um, to all the people who they are infecting, it's huge. So it's the, the spreading dynamics that are the problem. And because it's the spreading dynamics that are the problem, the solution right now is self-isolation, but that's having these huge yeah. Now, now people are other impacts, well, and, right? And then, um, and on people are also going to be dying from medical issues that were quite treatable and and not at all lethal when when you know when you could when when hospitals were um, uh, you know running regularly um, and you could go in, but now now there's people having to. I mean, if you think about like anything, like a gallbladder infection, or you know, like any any little thing that normally you could go into a doctor for. Yeah, I I think a lot of um, a lot of those things that are potentially life threatening will still be dealt with within the hospital system. Okay, Most yeah. hospitals are are setting up sort of separate areas. Um, also so that the people don't get infected who are there for other reasons, right? Because that's another issue. So a lot of hospitals are setting up separate spaces so they, you know, can still deal with any life-threatening issues. Um, but things that I think are, you know, considered routine or things that are, um, that you can potentially postpone, um, those are right now getting postponed elective surgeries and things like that. Um, but it's, I mean, it's, a new a whole a whole new order in terms of how things are are going to go now and and it's not even clear what the new normal is yet um so that's i think one of the big challenges you know it's like things are changing people are starting to adapt like you know we have adapted to some extent in terms of moving you know meetings online or like you know we're doing this podcast interview through the web um but how are our large-scale institutions going to adapt um it's not even clear that we're ready to 
make a plan for that. Yeah, I mean, the really idea of a two-week self-quarantine so, seems silly yeah. at this point. I mean, I think it's going to be so much longer than that, don't, don't you? I mean... Yeah, well, the you know, the, the thing about it is if everybody did it and yeah. did it well, that would be all we needed. Yeah. It yeah, would die out. The virus would die out. But is it possible to coordinate everybody across the United States to do that without infringing on people's rights in ways that we're not all right with? And I mean, people are still going to go out for valid, legitimate emergency reasons, you know, even if you, even if you, even if everyone does agree to comply, every single person on earth, you know, people are still going to, there's still going to be things that happen. Uh, so yeah, I, well, you know, I, I'm going to be, um, fortunately for me, considering I have like, um, 20 of these podcasts already lined up. I have, I have a zillion more questions and thoughts on this. And, and I am, I am, I, I just starting to get up to speed. I, I kind of had my, uh, head in the sand on this whole thing for quite some time, which is funny as a science, uh, communicator, but i don't I don't do uh, I, I do a lot more social science type stuff so it's a, it's just a little out of my regular wheelhouse but I, I want to make sure and talk to you um, before we wrap up um, about what um, do, does anything related to your cancer research um, is, is there any of that that you find yourself thinking about um, in in terms of this like the uh in your yeah. uh, by the way for people your new book is called the cheating cell how evolution helps us understand and treat cancer um i was i was just uh I, I remember our last episode the one thing that really stuck because we we talked two or three years ago or something like that and i do a new episode each week but i remember you saying the mm -hmm. the phrase taming the tumor um, as that novel way of uh, treating, and listeners mm -hmm. can go back to here, but or or you can uh, you can share that. But um, but anyway, I was I was just curious if if any of your cancer research is applicable to what's going on right now. Well, the thing that I've been thinking about actually is, yeah. is much more of an analogy than like you know. Uh, here's how my research your research shapes links the these two things because they're kind of disparate. Which you see the world in in a different way, right? Right. Well said, Shane. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I for my book, what I what I did was I sort of took this, you know, metaphor about. Um, sort of how societies work and cooperate and constrain cheating and said, okay, you know, you could think of our bodies as a cellular society and the cells inside cooperate and um, that's what makes us viable as multicellular beings. Um, but you can also get cells that cheat by overusing resources, by proliferating when they shouldn't, not dying when they should, et cetera, et cetera. And that's cancer. Those are the cells that are essentially taking advantage of the cooperation of the rest of the cells in your body. Um, and so I've been looking at cancer sort of through that lens. And now with the pandemic going on, which is this global issue, I'm kind of 
turning that on its head again. And, and I'm thinking about how as a global society, you know, we um, we did not actually evolve as a global society in order to be able to cooperate to control a threat like this pandemic. So, you know, our multicellular bodies, we have experienced, you know, so many hundreds of millions of years of evolution to be able to keep tumors under control. Now, sometimes they get out of control, but um, by and large, our bodies are actually really, really good at suppressing cancer because our cells cooperate in order to detect and eliminate um, cancer cells when they arise. And if they do start growing, there's all of these sort of levels of defense to keep cancer from growing and spreading. But in terms of our global capacity to detect and contain and prevent the spread of a novel virus like COVID-19, you know, we don't have that benefit of, you know, this, an evolutionary history selecting global communities for being able to effectively control a virus. And so I, I kind of wonder, you know, are there things that we could actually learn from how our bodies suppress cancer, how they detect and suppress cancer, keep it from spreading, that might help us as a global society do a better job of detecting and controlling hmm. pandemics. Do you have any ideas in particular? Well, so one um, thing that I think is really interesting about the way our cancer suppression systems work is that they are sort of multiple levels of um, detection and response that go on. So each of our cells has um, what are called cell intrinsic mechanisms. These are things like um, the gene um, TP53, which basically it um, allows the cell to kind of monitor itself. Like this, you could think of it as like the, you know, cellular conscience or something. The cell's like, oh, am I doing what I'm supposed to be doing? Am I um, producing the proteins I should be producing? Am I constraining my reproduction and my resource use? And the cell's like constantly asking itself that question. And if the answer is, you know, no, you're not doing what you're supposed to, then the cell stops what it's doing and searches for damaged DNA, repairs it if it can, if it can't repair it, um, then sometimes it will just cellular go through cellular self-destruction called apoptosis. So there's the, you know, individual level, you know, cell level monitoring and correction. Then there's a neighborhood level. So cells are sort of monitoring their neighbors um, for whether their neighbors are producing the proteins they should be producing, um, you know, doing the behaviors that they should be doing for where they are in the body and all of that. Um, and cells will send their neighbors signals if they don't think their neighbors are behaving appropriately. And that can have real consequences for whether, you know, the cells um, have to then sort of undergo DNA repair or even apoptose, you know, go through cellular suicide. So you have, you know, the individual cell level, you have the neighborhood level. And then you have this systemic level um, where you have the immune system kind of monitoring the whole body for regions where there might be um, cells that are infected or not infected, but cells that are um, cancerous and that are sort of doing behaviors that they that they shouldn't do. And so you have all these different levels um, and there's 
you know, communication that happens among these levels. Um, but it's a it's a very sort of um, detailed, systematic, multi-level kind of approach to keeping the threat of cancer at bay. Um, and, you know, I, I think we could probably do better as a society if we think very carefully about what all of these, you know, what levels we might want to put in place in terms of um, controlling a pandemic, um, you know, if there's a, a novel virus or bacterial infection that arises, what would we want that multi-level system to look like? What kind of rules should we be following ourselves? Should we be expecting those to follow who are, you know, around us? And then what kind of, sort of institutions would we want to set up um, on a much sort of higher national or international level? So it sounds one, one of the things, things that, that stuck out is it, it almost sounds like we would we would need um, m much like when you were um, uh, a kid and you'd do the um, um, uh, the the fire. Um, uh, what what do they call the fire fire drills? I I am so Drill. tired right now. Um, <laughs> I'm working like 14 hour days. Um, the, you do you do the uh, the fire drills and stuff like that, or or whenever when uh, I didn't I didn't get to see this, but the hiding under your desk for the for the <laughs> nuclear war or whatever, going through drills. Maybe we'll need to have societal drills for like this. It, it, it almost sounds like we need like a really efficient, reliable um, pause button that we can just like shut down all the unnecessary aspects of the economy and education and, and just moving about in general. And just anytime there's a threat, we just go like, well, let's we're pausing everything for a few days, assessing this, and maybe we're on lockdown for a while, and everyone's just going to have to be prepared to be quarantined for uh, weeks at a time, always. I think that's a, a great idea. And I would just add to it that I think one of the best ways to kind of, you know, put in place these like, practices for things that um, could potentially be serious risks that that we would face is to figure out some way to <laughs> yeah. make them fun. I, I do, yeah. And yeah. so I'm, I'm serious, right? Because it's like, you know, if it's like, oh, okay, now, you know, everybody has to stop doing everything well, that they would otherwise do and, you know, this do is nothing so easy. for two you weeks. You end the like, war on drugs, you know, uh, <laughs> first of all. So everyone can get stocked up with everything they actually need for two, for two weeks. The last thing that I need to do is is get um, more of the conspiracy people uh, worked up around here. But look, I talk about ending these drug laws and what happens immediately my sh computer shuts down. <laughs> um, so so anyway, it, you were you were saying um, that you think it will be, uh, you, you think it will be important to make these fun in some way. Yeah. I mean, if you actually look at how people in small scale societies, um, deal with things that are recurrent risks, very often they will have like music that they write and everybody will, you know, perform it together. Um, the, Ike in Uganda that we studied, they actually have these fairly elaborate, like musical, 
plays where they enact like raids and people are singing and dancing and acting and they have wow. fun. And that, you know, but it's also, it's also kind of serious, but they're also having fun. Yeah, so yeah. I think that we need to find some ways of doing things like that as our society to say, okay, this is a serious risk that we face. Here's some things that we should do to practice being ready. And how can we imbue some fun into those without compromising their effectiveness and maybe even enhancing their effectiveness by like making it something that it's easier for us to all do and pay attention to and have kind of shared attention on that this is the thing that we're doing. Yeah, yeah. This is, uh, I, I mean, uh, there there would be... Um, uh, it, it, just like everyone needs a needs a first aid kit and uh, and and all these supplies and stuff to bunk, to hunker down for a while, people should also reserve some of their favorite <laughs> favorite programs. <laughs> people are gonna be people are gonna be running out of good Netflix shows <laughs> really right. quickly. I, I, you know, people are gonna wish they had waited to watch Breaking Bad until they really needed that <laughs> entertainment. Uh, <laughs> and, which, by the way, I don't understand why they. So, someone that's been in a series of long uh, long distance relationships for um, you know. Uh, 14 years now I've never understood why why we aren't able to just watch Netflix uh, you, with your friends or whatever uh, when you're when you're apart like why why can't you and I just watch something and then talk about what we're what we're seeing but it's hard to, uh, uh, there there is no um, there is no program for that <laughs> just well, yet. they do that like with video games right isn't is it uh, yeah twitch Twitch, Twitch. Twitch is a different thing. I, I'm not. Yeah, they uh, need they need Twitch for for um for Netflix. couch surfing and for yeah. Netflix and stuff, but yeah. Uh, but yeah, I like that idea. We we could all all use a little rain dancing um <laughs> in our in our lives right but now. You, I, I mean, I like your idea of you know well we could even be watching something all together. I mean, like you could imagine if we do yeah. have to, you know, go on quarantine, lockdown, um, maybe there would actually be some entertainment plan for that. Like there'd be, you know, like, and we would all oh. be able to watch something collectively and together that would be fun and maybe we'd dance around our living rooms or whatever. I mean, I'm yeah. Just, and it's a, it'd be a good time to get into like a virtual book club you know, stuff like that. Sure, sure, everyone's seen every popular show on on uh, on Netflix, but you know what? People haven't burned through books. Like <laughs> my some... book, for example. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> exactly. So <laughs> as we wrap up, um, and I, um, I, I want you to one tell everyone everything you'd like to plug and where they can find out more about what you do in your podcast and then also um some message about what people could do to now that all of a sudden people are like i think science might actually be important um what what uh what is what is one to do someone that's just figuring out learning about science um for the first time Maybe they want to. Um, maybe they want to get involved. Maybe they want to do things to support the cause. Um, what can they do? Awesome. Well, um, I will just talk a little bit about 
the zombie apocalypse medicine alliance because i think that's kind of the most relevant thing to what all is going on now and um it i think it's also super fun so uh the zombie apocalypse medicine alliance is this group um includes scientists and artists um people who do policy um economists artists people who uh, study literature and horror it is a hugely diverse group um and we have a, a meeting every two years called the zombie apocalypse medicine meeting we had our first one in october of 2018 and we're going to have our next one october 2020 um it is going to be at least partially online um and once things are figured out a little bit more we'll have some in-person component we don't know what level of protective gear will be necessary for it but there will be something um but we will be live um streaming that and um pretty soon if you're interested you can sign up for an all online um, registration, which will only be 99 bucks. And then you can upgrade that if you end up um, signing, you wanna come in person um, if and when that's possible. Um, yeah. So, well, so I, I, might, I, might, might I, since we've agreed comedians are allowed to wildly speculate on things, I'm, I'm, going, to, I'm going to wildly speculate that I think this year there's going to be a bit more interest in your apocalypse conference. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so many people, like when I tell That's them about how I organized a meeting about the zombie apocalypse and that, you know, it's like a legitimate meeting, they just give me the weirdest looks. Uh, I had one of my colleagues um, who put it on her CV um, and is going up for tenure and her committee sent it back and they're like, what, what is this? zombie apocalypse medicine meeting put that don't know that's not a conference put it under other activities <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but i think people are starting to come around they're starting to realize like yeah. hey you know this way of um you know having a meeting where you know we're dealing with serious issues but we are um, allowing a sort of level of imagination playfulness um and i think that makes it less scary to actually engage about things that we do need to put our collective attention on and um, our interdisciplinary collective attention on. So, so that's really the goal of the Zombie Apocalypse Medicine Alliance is to, to bring together um, interdisciplinary scholars from science, from policy, um, from the arts and humanities all together to talk about what the challenges are that we're facing now and are likely to be facing in the future. Um, so if that's your thing, I encourage you to check us out. Um, and the Zombified podcast is part of the Zombie Apocalypse Medicine Alliance. It's kind of the way that you can keep um, in touch with what we're doing, what we're thinking. Um, and that is uh, right now coming out every week. We're in the second season of it right now. Um, and Zombified podcast is about all things that zombify us and we'll be... Um, finishing out this season over the next few weeks. And then we'll have some mini episodes in between. Um, we're, we're actually gonna ask some questions about how COVID epidemic has been zombifying us on a lot of different levels. So um, that's something that you can look forward to in the future if you're interested in um, zombification and hijacking and um, influence and, and all of those things. Amazing. Well, thank you, Athena, for joining me. Um, this has been wonderful. Hope to There's have you on again. I sometime. love more than sharing my brains.
So. <laughs> very, very cool. I, um, I, I went and I, I accidentally touched my face there right at the end of the episode. So I'm going to go bathe in bleach quick. Um, <laughs> but I, I only assume is what you're supposed to do. Um, <laughs> again, not, that's not, that's not for, an for, recommendation. You're not, first a time. Oh, okay. That, I, yeah, I didn't get that off the CDC website. That, that's just me speculating. Yeah. Again. Speaking of which CDC website, world health organization website, make sure you are getting your information from legitimate sources. Cause there is a yeah. lot of crap out there right now. So yeah, I guess I, I guess I do need to say, please don't actually take a bleach bath. Maybe <laughs> I, I sometimes forget the world that I, that I live in. <laughs> um, so, uh, well, yeah, this is, uh, this has been really in informative. I'm, and I'm grateful that you do what you do and thanks for sharing it with all of us. And thank you listeners for being such wonderful, curious people. And, uh, we'll talk with you soon, I guess tomorrow or something. Got a lot, lot more of these, uh, coming. So just as fast as we can get them, um, uh, downloaded and uploaded or however technology works. I don't know how technology works. I don't know how to clean myself. Um, <laughs> I, I'm, in, I'm in a scary new world. Uh, <laughs> um, but thank you, Athena. I really appreciate it. And I uh, can't wait to read your book. Thanks. All right, see ya. Star Bands Audio, a, podca <clears throat> a podcast network.